0: Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and to help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad, because you know like this is hurting me, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just just don't know what to do.
1: This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast, brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries, and actually it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost, and I just wanted to take her hand and help her. Get, get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough,
0: and you will always be enough.
1: My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process.
0: <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope. At ended.org.au. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This week I have got the absolutely incredible Dr. June Alexander joining me, and we are going to be talking about so many things, um, especially about lived experience, about um, recovering later in life, and also about the power of storytelling and recovery. So thank you so much for joining me, June.
1: It's my pleasure, Millie. I'm really honoured to be a guest on your podcast program, which I know will be helping many people right around the world.
0: I really hope that it does. that That is the goal of this podcast, is to save lives. So thank you for joining me in that. Now, for those of you who don't know, June is a foundation member of the National Eating Disorders Collaboration Steering Committee in Australia. And she has served on the board of directors of the Academy for Eating Disorders, representing experts by experience. She is also the author of many life writing, community works, and has a PhD in the therapeutic value of diary writing and recovery. She has written an incredible 10 books on eating disorders, including her memoir, and she combines journaling and storytelling expertise with her life experience and her role as a mentor for people with eating disorders and other mental health challenges. Her work as a storytelling mentor promotes self-healing and self-growth, and also involves collaboration with caregivers and treatment teams and understanding and overcoming difficult moments on healing journeys. You are a little powerhouse, June. You really are. (laughs) Oh,
1: well, I didn't, uh, like you and everybody else, I didn't ask to develop um, anorexia nervosa. And so at the age of 11, uh, yeah, it um, entered my life and, Shaped my life, uh, and yeah. So I guess it's sort of um, I don't. I really uh, like yourself. I'm every day is full now that um, in in recovery. Every day is full helping others. However, however I can, and and also uh, yeah, I'm making the most of every day, and every day is a joy. So I'm really pleased to be sharing with you today.
0: Wonderful. Now, I would love to begin with you going back uh, to what you were saying before about when you developed anorexia. I'd love you to give our listeners an insight into your journey with eating disorders.
1: Well, I will be, uh, just to put this in context, I will be 70 at the end of this year. So uh, it will be um, almost 60 years since I developed anorexia nervosa and so back in the, the very early 1960s uh, and I was living on a dairy farm in southeastern Australia and um, my, my, my family didn't even, the farmhouse didn't even have electricity uh, until I was 11 years old. So I, I didn't grow up with television or any um, glossy magazines in the house. We were 20 miles from the nearest um, town. And um, so I grew up actually with animals. It was very idyllic beside the Mitchell River. Uh, There were rapids. Um, I was next to what's now known as the Mitchell River National Park. Uh, I I had the the playground of wombats, kangaroos, live Um, goannas and swimming in the river in the summer, playing cricket and football with my boy cousins during the school holidays and helping my dad uh, and mum milk the cows and feed the potty calves. It sounds idyllic. (laughs) And I went to a one-room school, uh, you know, 24 children uh, just in all the sixth grade. And, um, yeah, but my grade six became... uh, a A very stressful time, and um I was actually in the largest grade in the school six um eight children, five girls, three boys in my grade. I was the one that was developing uh I was developing um my breasts and uh I noticed at the start of grade six one day when we used to always stand in line and put our hands across our chest and say... And, and and repeat the um, God save the queen you know um to the flag that was raised on the Monday morning we we're very patriotic then um but one morning I noticed i was i looked along the line and I realized I was the only girl with boobs and um I actually had developed uh began getting my period at the end of grade five before grade six and Actually, my mother hadn't given me any um, explanation before that happened. So um, I – and I was a tomboy. um, I loved doing boyish things. And um, all in all, I didn't celebrate. uh, The day I got my first period, I felt like my world had come crashing down and I couldn't go swimming that day with my boy cousins and all in all. So when I – I'm standing there looking along the line a few few months later and seeing that I've got these burbs and nobody else. That that bothered me. But also what really bothered me was that the school doctor was coming soon and we were going to have to undress. And I said to my mother and my older sister, I, I don't want to undress. And so, uh, but they told me not to be silly. And... Um, that you, you will be okay, everybody else will be doing it. But I was bothered and one day I'm sitting there on the grass in the school ground and um, it was just like a little penguin in my brain. I suddenly felt a little less anxious and um, from that day forward uh, I began to eat less and exercise more. Uh, it was... Um, that was how I was coping with the anxiety of of the of the of things really being out of my control, and I uh, I wasn't getting the reassurance I needed to feel safe at that point. So, uh, of course, the school doctor came and went, and uh, but I was in the clutches of anorexia, nervosa, and I was. A constant uh, source of shame for my mum because being a a farmer's uh, wife she was a very good cook and was known in the district for her good meals Um, and she would get very cross at me uh, for not eating and so I would try and hide the food. Um, I could slide it in my pockets under the table and Take it out to the hens when she wasn't looking. I'd give my school lunches away, and um, and I would even on a wet day, I I would run home rather than her pick me up in the car, which would make her really angry. And um, so, all in all, I became very withdrawn. And um, my poor parents, of course, didn't know what to do. And um, I um, eventually. Didn't get any help uh, actually um, until I was in my 30s. Um, I struggled along. I snapped out of the, um, I did begin to eat about two years later, but, uh, and my mother took me to um, a country GP. Uh, three years after losing my periods because of course I lost those through, through my body were being so malnourished. Um, so I'm about 14, 15 years old and she took me to the GP. And this is in the early 60s still. And they prescribed what is now known as, as the pill. And everyone says, oh, don't you look well? And my periods did come back after about six months. But what people didn't realize was that my mind was still very, very sick. It still had the eating disorder in it. And um, so I grew up feeling, uh, I always had this other voice, the eating disorder voice, and um, by the time I... uh, I got married at 20, had four four children. I had four children in four years. Um, by the time I was 25 and you might why? Well, again the eating disorder I um, influenced that. I with a 9 month pregnancy, I it gave me a goal. I'm going to eat three meals a day by the time I have this baby. And I would try really hard, Um, and every time I had a baby, after within a week, I I wouldn't be able to keep the three meals a day again, and so I'd have another one. Uh, But of course, my body was also breaking down under the stress of having babies on a malnourished body. So by the time I had my fourth babe, there was no way I could have any more. It was a real struggle. I almost lost her, and. so then my brain says, well, you've got to do something really desperate. So I had my tubes tied before I went home with, that, with the fourth baby um, so that I was forcing myself to front. I can't keep having babies trying to um, control my eating. Uh, and that's when I fell into chronic depression as well as chronic anxiety. And at the age of 28, I actually... I was quite suicidal and, um, I, um, eventually got the courage to go and tell my local GP. Um, I was, I really thought I'd be locked up and my children would be taken from me. I was so afraid. I'd gone all these years without telling anybody. And, um, but but I, I also, the love for my children is what gave me the courage to go and share this horror that I'd been living with for so many years. And and the doctor actually listened to me, the GP in the town. He did his best. Um, but uh, that led to the next six years of misdiagnosis and, um, and some more very difficult times. So the time I was 32, I actually was um, a new GP in town said to me, I think I know someone who can help you. I'll never forget those words. I had tears streaming down my face. I was self-harming terribly and I was a real mess. And um, anyway, it was a seven month wait to see the psychiatrist in Melbourne. And, uh, but I finally got there and he did save my life. But what happened after that was a 25 year recovery journey. And uh, because I had no idea who I was before I was 11. And um, yeah, so gradually reconnected with my healthy self. And um, my psychiatrist was very good in that he encouraged me to experiment and to uh, try new things. And if they don't work, then, you know, that's not for you. Keep trying. And um, I was the queen of new starts because I started many things and that worked the right way. And uh, so, yeah, this led, led me to where I am today. I I, I'm, I was fortunate, though, in that at the age of 11, uh, the other thing that happened at that age, and it's interesting how our childhood really affects the people we become, um, I was given a diary Uh, a diary um, as a Christmas gift, that that first Christmas with anorexia. It became my buddy. And uh, I have kept the diary every year since age 11. And uh, when I did eventually um, get myself back, uh, Mm -hmm. more than 51%, me, at the age of 55, I began looking uh, at my reading, rereading my diaries and actually it, it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost and I just wanted to take her hand and help her get, get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. But it the, the diary also became, while the diary um, in some ways strengthened the eating disorder during... Um, those decades because um, we know that an eating disorder is about trying to feel like one's in control. It's very regimented, lots of rules, and my diary was a great place for trying to grasp every new day, make a set of rules for me to abide by to get through the next day. Sometimes it was a day divided into quarters. I mean, if I can get to 10.30 in the morning, that'll be something. But, you know, and then the next, you know, some days were too scary, so they were divided up. And I would write each in my, you know, I'd write in my diary very regularly. Um, But when I when I started to turn the corner, do that U-turn, and started to go towards recovery instead of round and round in the eating disorder prison, um, I began to use it to practice new healthy thoughts. And um, I remember um, more, in more recent years when I've been able to discuss this with the wonderful researchers that we have in the eating disorder field, Professor Janet Treasure told me it takes about 9,000 repetitions to develop a new thought, and uh, and I that made a lot of sense to me. And um, I also met, yeah. And if we write them down, if we write our thoughts down. That helps speed up the process because we're seeing with our eyes as well as thinking. Um, yeah, and and so yeah. After I um, got to fifty-five and knew that I was. Over that 51%, I was never going to go back. Um, recovery accelerated and um, and I then had the urge to um, write my story. I wanted to write my story because um, for my children especially, they'd grown up with a mum who had an eating disorder and uh, at, by the time they were teenagers they, they had become my carers and and today, uh, they're in their forties. Uh, the four of them being very close together, and uh, and I feel like I'm in my twenties. So um, because um, they're far more um, sensible than me, but you know they're very tolerant, and uh, uh, you know we 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 love each other so much, and of course. Be- My marriage did not survive the eating disorder Um, in my 30s. It uh, convinced me that one reason I wasn't recovering was because of my husband. And that was so sad. And, it's you know, there are a lot of losses involved with an eating disorder. I'm glad to say that... um, uh, My children's dad and I remain close friends and as parents we're still as one and um, I am just so glad that today as grandparents we we share family birthdays, Christmas, everything like a normal um, happy family and he has a partner and and we're all together and um, I have a lot to be grateful for. But the eating disorder can take so much from us and... um, I, uh, you know, it's, it's being, I guess, an older person who's recovered, um, I do talk with, uh, after my memoir came out, called A Girl Called Tim. Um, amazing things happen, Millie. I, uh, women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and older wrote to me and said, you're describing the way I feel and there was, I remember one woman in one state of Australia wrote, she was in her fifties and she was going to seek help for the first time. And just knowing that made me think my wife, my my own experience was all worthwhile because I could help somebody else. And um, a big thank you to, I must say to, to Claire Middleton, uh, who, who, uh, encouraged me to, um, share my story and, uh, and also to the many other Claire plus many, many other people who I've met. And, you know, while I lost my family of origin because I did never did understand my eating disorder, I feel very rich because I have developed another family in the eating disorder field. And um, I don't know, I I imagine there are others like me. There were times during my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, I think I don't want to know about the eating disorder. I just want to have a life like everybody else. But what I discovered was that never worked. (laughs) Um, I I could never not pretend that, that the problem was there. That was... Only asking for um, short-term joy and long-term trouble. So um, it's much better to uh, know that that support's there whenever we need it. And um, and and in in accepting support from someone, you're also helping someone. It's very much a two-way a two-way thing, and um, and it's incredibly uplifting. um, And. Everyone that's recovering tells me, you know, they they want to make their experience count in some way, and um, and these days, you know, we can do that in many ways. We've got the, you know, the edgy program. We got you know, where we can contribute to the wonderful genetics research that's happening, um, and, and just. Sharing our stories in a safe and supportive environment, like the one you're offering, is um, an ever-so helpful thing for, for people who are maybe you know at various stages of this. Maybe they're just thinking, "Oh my gosh, have I got eating disorder symptoms, or do I know do I know someone who has?" And um, or maybe further along, and you know, it's a long journey. It, Sadly, um, the longer we have before we are diagnosed and get the right help, it can take a long time But the, to recover. But I urge everyone uh, never to give up, never ever to give up um, because life is beautiful and and you deserve it. You deserve it
0: you absolutely do deserve it. everybody deserves it and you know you and i know that and i think it's about using our lived experience to help other people to see that because i think sometimes especially when people have had um severe and enduring eating disorders they they are often told by their eating disorder that they are not worthy Or deserving of recovery, or even capable of it. Uh, So, why Mm. should they bother trying? In fact, I was talking to a client yesterday about exactly that and saying, where is the evidence base that the eating disorder is using uh, to convince you that you are worthy, undeserving, or incapable of recovery? Where is the evidence for that? Because there isn't any. Um, And I'm a big believer, as you know, in the fact that. Full recovery as possible for anybody, regardless of how long or or how severe their journey has been. And I often um, use you as a prime example of that, um, of someone who it, it hasn't didn't matter how long you had suffered for or how many you know misdiagnoses you'd had. Um, you were here and living life to your absolute fullest, which is just such a such a wonderful thing to see.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. Um, you know, it, but having an eating disorder can be very lonely and um, it's really important to, to, to reach out and connect with others. Um, I, you know, I remember being at school and looking at the other, other children in my class eating um, salad rolls or meat pies <laughs> for lunch and, and thinking, how can you do that? and not feel guilty afterwards. Like I didn't know how they could – I would have to punish myself if I ate something like that. And um, it's it, and at that age, there was no one to explain what was going on there for me at that point. And I think it's it doesn't matter whether we're – 12 years old or, or 18 or 24 or 30 or, or 44 or 54 or 64 or 74, it's never too late to reach out and, and just share with someone the, the thoughts that we're having and to help work out whether they're an eating disorder thought or a healthy self thought and, um, and being able to, if it is, a, a discern the difference and, and to focus on strengthening those healthy self-thoughts and quietening the voice of the eating disorder. Um, it, you know, I don't say to people I am completely free. It was with me a long time. And, you know, I say I'm 95% free. It's still there, maybe 5%, but 5% does not have any voting rights at all in the decisions I make. And and I guess, um, you know, for a long time, you know, there's a lot of slipping and sliding as you're yes. getting to that stage. And it's about always being able – and sometimes it's really frustrating because the old thought – it sneaks in and and you find yourself behav you know you engaging in a but eating disorder behavior without realizing it or you've started the behavior before you realize it and we tend to berate ourselves and um but we it's really important to to learn to forgive ourselves and um and 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 to keep going and i think one one of the things that um is hardest as when, you know, maybe gone on a binge the night before and you wake up the next morning and you think, Well, <gasps> look what I did last night, I feel terrible. I won't eat until lunchtime today. And that is wrong. You know, we must the way to stop that horrible binge cycle is is to get up and eat breakfast as normal and then lunch and then dinner and to have our three snacks. And I do that you know, without fail, I explain to people, like, the way to, it took me many years because um, and now I cannot imagine going on a binge. I completely have no urge. And that's because my body feels safe now. For the first time in its life, it feels safe. It knows it's not going to be starved again. Mm. It knows that it can count on June to feed it regularly and so it doesn't feel like it's got to stuff itself full in case there's another famine and um, breaking that feast and famine cycle is one of the hardest things to do but when we our body starts to understand that it's not going to have to eat a lot right now because it may not get a meal again for a long time it starts to relax and it takes out all that Roller coaster ride that our moods have when we eat too much and eat too little, eat too much, eat too little. It's, it just plays habit with us. So, having the, the meals regularly, meals are our medicine. And, um, you know, one of the joys for me, Millie, is uh, I used to wonder if it would ever be possible to. Let my body tell me what it wants for the next meal and now it does. And I love thinking listening to my body tell me whether it wants eggs or cheese or fish or you know, steak or whatever it wants for its next meal. And and I enjoy every meal. It's um, it's the, the joy of of being able to look forward to a meal and and um, having no guilt afterwards is truly amazing. And it allows you to get on with things. I don't know about you, yes. but I've got something I want to do with my life. I, you know, I eat so that I can live <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I live so that I can eat. I mean, it's a two-way deal, but once I eat my meal, it's, it's out of you know I'm straight back to work I'm straight back to doing what I love I'm not my I'm not uh the thoughts you know when I was in the midst of my eating disorder and being a high functioning person I was you know a journalist um on a major newspaper in Melbourne but um I sometimes think maybe 95% of my brain at the point of time was taken up with the eating disorder thoughts and 5%, I was functioning on 5%. Uh, we can a lot, I'm not the only person with an eating disorder that does that. We can be very high functioning on a small amount of brain power. But once we get back the, um, you know, once we get back the, the, um, other 90, 90% of it, the eating disorders got, we are quite unstoppable. And, <laughs> and it's like Dr. Walter Kay in, at the, um, in, in the United States says, you know, people who have eating disorders, if they don't have to give everything up. They can keep the skills that they've honed in, in managing the eating disorder because eating disorder is very demanding Um, You know, we've got attention to detail, we've got, um, you know, consistency, we've got um, perseverance, we've got all these skills. Once we take those skills and take it from something negative like eating disorder and put it into a positive, that's why I was able to write the the 10 books in 12 years. It was only because I, I took back the power that the eating disorder had been taking from me in a negative way. And using it in a positive way, and that's what I love um, encouraging others to do as well. It's because it's
0: scary giving up an eating disorder, isn't it?
1: And well, it is. you don't
0: know what. The- yeah. yeah. And this is the thing, you you know, I often say to people though, that yes, you can look at it as being scary. Okay. You can look at it as being scary because you don't know what life's going to be like on the other side. But I like to turn that around and have a bit of a perspective shift and say, look at it like an opportunity. So I uh, use this analogy of, of a blank canvas. You've got this big blank canvas there and you can splash what, ever beautifully colored paint on that canvas that you want. And you can create the life that you want to live. And as you say, you know, harness those personality characteristics um, for good. And, And as you and I both know, once you let go of your eating disorder, the amount of mental space that opens up is just quite incredible and so you have all of this time and space in which to um to do other things which i think is is so um it's amazing it's 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 quite a hard feeling to describe i think to anyone who hasn't had their brain so completely consumed by something for so many years and i love what you said before about um you know allowing your body to realize that you're not going to start it again. You know, for me, that took quite some time, as I'm sure it did for you as well, for your body to mm-hmm. go, okay, she's not going to go there again. And so we can breathe a sigh of relief and and things are going to be okay. So then those urges um, abate and then you and you are able to have that incredible experience of actually listening to your body. And for someone who hasn't been able to do that for decades, It is quite an incredible thing because our bodies are just so amazing and intelligent if we allow them to be and we listen and tune in. And yes, it's a skill that we have to learn um, once we've been in our eating disorder and become so severed um, from our bodies and our minds, but it is absolutely possible to regain that that sense of being in unison with your body, mind, and spirit.
1: Yes. Yes, it's about being connected um, with our because the eating disorder disconnects and um, and healing. I like using the words ongoing healing um, because yeah, I, I, I mean uh, we continue to heal with every new day. But um, being 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 feeling connected and I guess synchronized with our mind and our body is just yeah it's a it's a wonderful joy and i yeah I imagine it is difficult for others to understand but but when you've had this um uninvited uninvited guest in in one's brain <laughs> for so many years it's a it's a it's a constant constant joy i mean i I do when I was just getting getting into um that safety zone with my three meals and three snacks a day which I mean, after 40 years, it was truly amazing to be able to eat three meals and three snacks a day and not feel guilty um, and, and to do it, you know, day after day, not just one day and then flunk out and then start again. Um, I I was started to wake up of a morning and I would just, you know, sometimes I would be tempted if something stressful had happened in my life or whatever, you know, old auto cues would come up, but then I had this stronger healthy thought that said, I don't want to bruise myself anymore and I'm not going to. I'm not going to hurt myself anymore. I'm going to love myself. And so I I would sit down and eat my meal and um, that's what, I guess, I just feel so at peace now, and I guess in my worst moments with my eating disorder, I would just pray to God: Could I please have a couple of days, just even one day, without the voice of the eating disorder tormenting me so? And I'm so glad that you know my my doctors didn't give up on me, um, and that my my friends and my children and their dad, who has always been a rock to me. Um, that were there for me. And, you know, I, and there's been books that I've read, like Jenny Shaper's books, um, Goodbye, Ed, Hello Me. When I was probably about 85% recovered, um, I read Jenny's books about, you know, externalizing the eating disorder. That helped me more because for many years I had no clue um, about. Was this my thought? Was this an eating disorder thought? Or was I thinking this way because I was taking so much medication? Um, I had no idea of my own identity. And um, during my 30s and 40s, that was probably the main issue. I didn't know who I was. And and I had to discover who I was without the eating disorder. And this is where writing has been very helpful. And I must say, that, that if I may, that the response uh, of adults to um, a girl called Tim is what led me to do some more thinking while I was walking along the the, the seashore. And I thought maybe there's others that have kept diaries and um, during their eating disorders. So that was when I wrote a blog um, and uh, and i had this amazing response of more than 100 in in just a couple of days and 70 of those um responses became my a bit like canterbury tales they became my participants in my phd which was actually on using writing as a therapy for eating disorders because um and i was so honored um there's such a trust that exists between people who have eating disorders? Um, they were sharing private diaries with me, you know, and all I knew was their name and and um, and their email address. <laughs> and we and we I still keep in touch with many of these lovely people from around the world who shared their their, their experiences of um, of their eating disorder with me. And over a three year period of the PhD, that Quite a long time to stay in touch, and some were still, um, you know, in recovery. Some became in were in hospital during part of those three years, and we all kept in touch. And we it was an amazing feeling of trust and sharing. And I think that's. Um, you know, you. It, I think you. I'm sure you find the same, Millie. You can talk to anyone anywhere in the world, and if they've had an eating disorder or have an eating disorder, there's an immediate rapport. Yes. You. you it, it doesn't matter what language or culture or or religion or whatever you come from. They, we understand each other so, uh, immediately, and um, I found that incredibly. Um, enriching uh, and um, at this at the age I'm at now and of course it's because I had so many years in the darkness um, I was like I say 50 55 years old when I first stood up at a at a school uh, a, a girls school um, information night <laughs> in Melbourne and shared my story for the first time And, um, but, you know, and there were grandparents and parents there who stood back, you know, wanted to chat afterwards and, um, and a lot has happened since then. But, you know, for, for so many years, I, I, um, I worked at a time when mental illness was thought of as a weakness, um, not only in the rural community, but you know I was scared to admit to anybody in my workplace in in, in at the big newspaper office that I had um, had a mental illness because I thought uh, I was I would lose my job for sure and um, I think these today I like to think that there's not so much shame and stigma involved with an eating disorder and that's one reason why I do what I do today, and I know you do too, is to let people know there's, there's no reason, no reason to feel shame, no reason for there to be stigma because you have an illness. You don't choose to have this illness.
0: I completely agree with you, and it's a big part of why um, we wanted to do this podcast was to really help to dispel um you know, some of those myths and stigma that still do surround it. And I agree with you, there is a lot less uh, shame and sweeping under the carpet that than there has been in, in years gone by. But I still do feel we have a long way to go. um and yeah. and you're right in terms of the fact that people with lived experience of eating disorders, there is a real, Connection there, and I think you know. As a as a recovery coach, I see it all the time. Um, I had initial consultation with a client yesterday, and she just said, "I just had this implicit sense of trust with you." You know, what I've shared with you today is more than I've ever shared with any of my treatment teams over the years, um, and I think it's because we get it, we know, um, and also there's a certain respect, I guess, because we have walked that path ourselves. Um, and I think the fact that we can be living, breathing um, sort of beacons of hope, if you like, or, or light within that that darkness, because as you say, it is like having to sort of wade through a very, very dark forest. Um, you know, and I love talking about it like we are holding that person's hand on their journey to, to, to recovery, to freedom. Um, we're walking alongside them. You know, we can't force anyone to do anything but we can be there reminding them of their healthy self reminding them of what their true values are and reminding them of what they really want and i think that's invaluable because we know that eating disorders try and you know reel you back in as soon as you've had an epiphany and make you think that oh well no i'll i'll go back to the eating disorder it's just easier and to have someone there who you trust going no no remember this is where we're going and just just to keep you on that right road i think it's um it's quite incredible and and i feel very lucky as i know that you do that we get to do this work because as you say mm. It is so fulfilling and there is nothing that warms my heart more than hearing from um, individuals or parents or partners about how their loved ones are doing or how they are doing themselves and hearing that they have finally seen seen the light and experienced freedom because, um, you know, as you and I both know, we know what that feels like and it's pretty amazing. It
1: is. It is. And, yes, it's... Um it's really about never giving up, you know. Um, were there I, moments
0: where you felt hopeless? Like, were there moments where you did feel like giving up?
1: Yes, yeah, and yes. And so what there did were.
0: you do in those moments to keep that, that hope alive?
1: Well, I guess probably the most, painful like rejection for me was the most painful emotion um i i didn't have the support of my family of origin so um that was very difficult for me i was i was labeled as the problem in the family um so i I like to assure people that um Ideally, you will have the support of your family because we know today that this is a family illness. It's not just a one-person illness. But if you don't have the support of your family, for whatever reason, recovery is still possible. That's my big message. But there was this time in my 30s when um, everybody else in the family was invited to um, a family birthday and I wasn't. And um, I felt like I was at the bottom of a deep, dark well. And uh, I spent most of the weekend crying and I was all alone. And then a little thread, like a thin cotton thread, seemed to hang down in front of me while I'm sitting at the bottom of this well. And I recognized that I get quite teary when I talk about this because I can still see it. It was a thread of myself. It was the true me. And I knew I had to grab hold of that thread and use it to climb up out of this dark well. And I hung on to that. And I... The next morning I, I went to work at the newspaper office and in those days I had a byline, you know, and actually at the time it was my husband's name. <laughs> um, I realised I had to go back. That little thread helped me realise that I, I had a right to be born and that my family... I, that no one could take away my right to be born. That was, the, that was where that became my starting point. I had a right to be born and I had a right to life. And so I went to work next morning and the, the editor was quite younger than me. And when I said I wanted to use my maiden name henceforth, I thought the name I was born with, isn't, it would be my name. Uh, it, 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 it's just, a, a you know, a practical thing, but it was a starting point. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, Oh, June, has this got something to, to do with you knowing your identity? And I thought that was ever so insightful of him. And I said, yes, but I didn't go into any more detail. I also changed my driver's license and everything else. It, it was a, a practical thing, but it, what it was doing was, was, Hanging on to that thread and taking starting to take a builder life for me, and it was a very slippery climb out of that well. Um, I, it was like I was trying to find a stone to a foothold to get you know, and I'd slip down to the bottom and I'd have to start all over again. But I finally got there, and um. I met some marvellous people who did believe in me, GPs who believed in me when I couldn't see myself. Um, the psychiatrist who I saw for 30 years, he, he always said to me, June, my door is always open for you. So I'm very grateful to these people who who did not give up on me and who could see that behind all the illness, there was a person who wanted to get out. And um, And it's for them... Uh, that I I do the work today, I'm very grateful to them for for never giving up on me, and I met enough people who believed in me um, to 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 encourage me to to keep going. And I'm, I'm sure you experience this too, Millie, where our self belief is is absolutely non-existent, and um, when people do listen to us and and do. Um, that's when our self-belief can start to grow. And um, that trust that we have. I think mentoring is so important. Um, it wasn't around when I was younger and it wasn't around for you either, uh, I presume, um, but it is around now. And you know we can work, uh, be a dolphin for, for people today. Who are suffering, and and also a support to the um, the psychiatrists and the psychologists and the the dieticians. We can all work together, and and the great thing about being a mentor, and I'm a writing mentor, and you're you know uh, people who like writing, um, is that we're there. Often, when when the other professionals aren't there, yes. and we can help fill in the gaps because we know that it's those gaps that can be um, crucial in whether you get through a day or not without slipping. We're there to help stop the slips, aren't we? And and to encourage to keep on the path. Yes. But yes. I guess you know it's um, the time times when you feel. You just can't go on, that it's all too hard. Just I know it's the hardest time to reach out for help, but it's essential that we do. And like you said earlier, we we, we can't do it for anybody, but we can be by by your by the side. And if as long as they've got a little thread of I want to get I want to be free I want to break out of this I want to I want I want to get off the the vicious circle of this eating disorder we can be there with them and 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 guide them along their way and it's yeah it's beautiful
0: it certainly certainly is is beautiful if you could say what one is there one thing that was sort of the biggest challenge for you with recovering uh, when you were when you were older was there you know did you face any sort of judgment and stigma was there something that you felt was made it sort of harder to tackle it than you feel if someone you know say if you had been recovering in your teens or your 20s
1: recovering um because it was a long journey i guess you know from Thirty-two to um, fifty-five, basically. Um, I guess. Well, first of all, one has to, and this is hard to do, but accept that the way that we've been living is the wrong way. Um, and you don't know anything else because you've been your brain has got so many. Um, you know it, the eating disorder has is it, it becomes so embedded that that, mm. that the it, it it dominates every every decision that's made, and it's not just only re, re, relating to food. It's like if you've it's got so to pervasive. go to yes, yeah. It 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 affects relationships. It affects your work uh, in the workplace. It affects everything. Absolutely playing sport it affects absolutely everything there's not one area of life that an eating disorder does not not encroach on and so i guess the challenge was um, becoming it become learning to to get develop the new thoughts and then the healthy thoughts and um, and, and daring to, to explore because when you're a child and you develop an eating disorder and you're in your middle age when you're recovering, um, you still haven't had what's a normal adolescence. You haven't had that lovely exploration time of, you know, so, you know, I guess you've got to allow yourself time to experiment and... Uh, but I was fortunate to have doctors that actually encouraged me to do that, um, and um, it, nothing's ever a mistake. It's, you, 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 everything can be turned into a lesson. So if you try something and it doesn't work out, well, you just say, okay, that's not what I'm meant to be doing, um, and you try something else. But it's, um, I guess... One big thing for me with with the recovery has been also in the workplace. I was often open to exploitation because um, uh, you know I'd work longer hours. I'd do extra work. Um, I didn't really know how to say no. I didn't know how to guard my myself, my healthy self. And uh, I had to learn, I think this is probably you asked me the question, I'm thinking it's about learning to be assertive um, to protect one's own self and also um, to even try to express anger if that is possible because the eating disorder wasn't... uh, wasn't able to express anger because it was actually about learning to express emotions of all sorts, I think, but particularly to self-guard oneself. Anger can be important to protect oneself if one is being mistreated. Um, And assertiveness is, is important to safeguard one's own healthy boundaries. And, um, these are the things that the eating disorder would um, infiltrate. So, um, and uh, yes, an eating disorder is m- about much more than food. It's about our whole life structure, and and so that's a wonderful thing that a mentor can be so helpful. Also, is in helping helping to. Um, this be, be beside as as you know you're going out you're developing this new some people might think my gosh he suddenly got confident i for instance i could never speak uh, i would have died of i had i was diagnosed with chronic anxiety chronic depression there was no way i could talk like i'm talking now to you um, but now i talk especially i'm especially happy to talk about eating disorders because in a way i'm I'm um, getting back at it, I imagine, uh, because it kept me suppressed for so many years. And um, it, it's it's the freedom, freedom to be your whole self. And, um, you know, there's that saying where, you know, a bite of the cherry or the whole cherry. Well, I'm a firm believer that everybody deserves the whole cherry of life. And, you um, and, and, and the very best cherry, you know, don't settle for any less because you do deserve, you know, we, we, we deserve, everybody deserves to, to be, to have sufficient nourishment for their body and their mind. And everybody deserves to be treated with respect. And everybody deserves, um, to be acknowledged
0: for who they are, yeah. I could not agree more with that. Have you come to a place of acceptance with your body now? Do you fully accept and embrace it? Oh yes, yes,
1: yes, I do. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy. I was only i I have three boys and a girl. My girl, my daughter, is the youngest. Um. And she uh, she was um, a rower for us uh, at national level, um, and she was in the lightweight rowers. So they had to be um, a certain weight to be able to, and also be very fit. <laughs> um, and uh, so she and, and she is a phys ed teacher. Today, um, among others uh, as well as classroom teaching, but she likes to keep fit. So she is in her early forties now, um, and then now I've got granddaughters, three of them, aged um, eight and and um, eleven, and of um, course. We know now that genetics have a lot to do with eating disorders, so one tends to keep an eye on things. Um, but they're all beautiful, and there's no sign of of eating disorder symptoms. But I was telling my daughter the other day. I mean, this is one of the joys of uh, of, of of being free. Is that you know I can eat a Magnum ice cream with my with my granddaughters and and um, just or if they are out and they're having a milkshake and they can't quite finish it i can happily finish it for them um these i can't explain how beautiful these moments are um because i couldn't do that with with my own children when they were little but i can do it with my grandchildren so i, I just encourage everyone never give up because the joy you didn't have yourself I, I honestly, I have no idea what I weigh, and I don't care. And if I need new clothes, I happily buy them and feel very proud that I'm here to get them. Um, I don't, I, uh, I've got too much I want to do with my life to be to 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 um, have any more of my my precious brain energy consumed by the nasty uh, eating disorder and um, what I'm very aware that my time is my time and I'm not sharing it with the eating disorder. Um, uh, I was only talking to a wonderful doctor in the United States yesterday and he told me this story about this woman who described her eating disorder as um, she wrapped it in duck. Tape and put it in her closet. Oh, I like and one that. day she was. <laughs> Lots of duct tape. And and it, and it was quite long. You know, she wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped. And then one day she was walking by the closet and she heard a sound and she. She, she went back to the closet and the, and the duct tape was calling out, let me out, let me out. So she took it out and she got more duct tape and duct taped its mouth up. And, um, and not only that, she climbed the attic and put it in a very cobwebby corner of the back of the attic where she knows it's because for her, it was important to know like it, it was part of her. It had been part of her for a long time but she had sighed. It was still there. She was acknowledging its presence, but it 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 was It was it was now silent, and and it was she that was she was directing her life, not it. And um, I just I just I do, I know I just love that the way he told that that is a true story, <laughs> and uh, and from the United States, it's uh, it's. It, you know, we all have ways of um, putting our eating disorder somewhere suitable, where where it's 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 allowed to be there, but it's not allowed to say anything or do anything anymore. <laughs> yes, it's, because after all, it served the purpose. It was just not going. It was going down the wrong path with that purpose, and um, so um, I mean it. It is a coping tool but it's an unhealthy coping tool and it is is always an unhealthy coping tool and we do need healthy coping tools. Yes,
0: we certainly do. And in talking about that and talking about coping skills, now I know that you're a big believer in the value of diary writing uh, in recovery. Uh, How do you think it is a value? Like what benefit is it? to to write diaries and recovery in journal
1: oh well i am, i know carolyn coston agrees with the, with the value of diary writing or journal writing uh, same thing um i am really glad that i i mean no one told me how to write a diary or what to put in it when i was a little girl um uh but looking back, I'm really glad I did. One of the reasons I'm very glad is if I hadn't kept the diary, I would have found it hard to believe the journey I'd been on. Um, it's a testimony to to my uh, to my suffering, I guess, and to um, it shows clearly. Looking at it as an observer now, um, rather than a participant, I can see how deeply my mind was consumed by the eating disorder. So it's been very helpful in helping me to understand and myself, and and forgive myself as well for because I can see that the eating disorder was influencing many of my decisions and. Um, uh, and to forgive myself so and and in recovery so for me the diary served it was a survival tool, a coping tool and then it became a recovery tool. it, it, it served those three purposes and and to, in rec- in recovery it became a practice ground. Uh, I would use it to, to strengthen, Help strengthen my new healthy self thoughts. And um, like I said earlier, maybe I would get if it was this was a difficult day, then I would get till ten thirty and write again. I would, I would, and I would repeat messages over to myself um, and remind myself that I was a worthy person because um, and and anything that I could do, um, whether it was buy a new plant or, or go for a walk or ring a friend or anything, just doing positive behaviours um, rather than negative. And one good thing about writing a journal also is that when the eating disorder um, can, you know, it's about grabbing it before it runs away with you. The, by becoming aware, because self-awareness is crucial in, in, in healing, uh, we have to be very aware of ourselves. I say to people it's a bit like driving a manual car instead of an automatic. We've got to manually um, manage our thoughts while we're learning new thoughts. The diary was very useful in that way. If, if I felt like um, I was getting the urge to engage in an eating disorder behavior, if I wrote down, made myself write down, write in my diary why I wanted to do that, It would take the steam out of the thought. Um, It would slow it down from a a gallop to a to a canter to a to a trot until it was nothing. Um, It 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 is became became a very good self managing self help tool uh, in writing, and also um, I realised that if I had shared my first page of that 11-year-old diary with with someone like yourself, Millie, you would have recognized this girl's got anorexia nervosa and she needs help right now. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I didn't have anyone like that. But, but I know like now um, when I'm mentoring people um, with – is through journaling, and they can share their their journals with me when they they trust me. It's a very um, close trust that we have. Um, then I am able to um, help them recognise the eating disorder thoughts and their thoughts, and and to give them other uh, perspectives to think about. you know to to understand their thought and to challenge the eating disorder thought, and also. Um, yeah, so we have these conversations going like that. And having the, the, the writing um, helps to um, – and I, and I do you, – you can have a diary these days, um, pen and paper, on your laptop or on your iPhone. You can, you can have a diary, a journal in any in many ways. Um, I, do, I do like the pen and paper diary um particularly during recovery because it's tangible and um, and it's the holding of the pen and the feeling the paper and and you know that the, the, your moods can be my my there's a lot of pages um, I'd dry, I'd write down the, the the page and then I'd write down the sides of the margins and then oh, oh it would just go all over the place um because I I had a lot to put down when I when I, I needed to, I, and and you could tell a bit like the clouds in the sky. Your writing can reflect uh, moods, um, just just like the you know the weather. The the writing can tell so much. But but really, um, I you know I've had people with eating disorders say to me, I couldn't keep a diary because I was afraid someone was going to read it. And to me, that's the saddest thing um, because diaries are very personal. They're like an extension of yourself and um, they need to be respected. Uh, mm-hmm. Never, A diary should never be read by anybody else unless one has permission to do so. Um, I've had a girl, uh, one of the girls that, in Australia that contributed to my PhD from Sydney. She actually... Um, told me how she took her journal to her psychiatrist to show how desperate she was for help. And it was only after he read her journal that he immediately arranged for her to be admitted to hospital and saved her life. And I think that it's just um, the writing... We can often, that gives me shivers when I say that. It, 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 we, we can sometimes write when we're unable to speak. That was certainly my way when I started recovery. I, I kept it all inside so long, it, it was very difficult to allow it to start coming out. And so my psychiatrist would encourage me to write. And I'd go in there with reams of A, A4 paper full-scat pages and I'd sit there while he would read and then he'd look at me and we'd start to talk and he always, you, you I could write my thoughts and feelings but I, I had, a, it took me a long time to be able to actually express them verbally so that's another good reason for having a, a journal.
0: So many wonderful reasons. Now yeah. finally June, I want to ask you What do you think is the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you? I would say
1: it's taught me about the beauty of life because when you've been in the depths of the dark, dark, dark well or the dark, dark forest, um, there's... the thing that makes life worthwhile is that when we recover the beauty is enhanced to the the depths of the darkness it becomes the the heights of the lightness and i am forever just feeling exhilarated by the beauty of life around me and I live quite simply. I just love walking on the by the shore um, or in the forest or close to nature. I love gardening. I love cooking. I love reading. I love writing. Um, you know, I love being with friends. I love being with my children when I can. It's been a bit difficult this year with COVID. But um, I... Uh, yeah it's taught me um, about the 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 beauty the beauty of life yes
0: yeah. I can so resonate with you know when you say that it almost amplifies all the little things you know because mm-hmm. we've had to live in such darkness for so long and you know as as we said before that the endless sort of pervades every aspect of our lives and influences our perspective on everything and so when you are free of those shackles and you are just free to revel in in the little things in life and enjoy them without that without being encumbered by that awful awful voice in your head and that sort of almost feeling of just impending doom for want of a better word it is quite incredible and it's something that I will never take for granted um as well as you you know it's, it's the simple things that I love the most um and they you know as 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 we often say the little things actually are the big things and so I I want to thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared today it is you are truly remarkable and you're at you're a treasure and a gift to, to the world, and especially to the world of eating disorders. And all the work you do is is incredible and so, so valued, not only by me, but by so many others. And thank you for taking the time to, to sit with me today and share, because I know that this will help so many people.
1: Thank you so much. And um, I, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I feel that... Um, it, you know, it's about time when I will, well, I guess I will do what I can do for as long as I'm here, but it's nice to know that the baton is already in your hands. And I know that you're, you're, you're a gift to our world, Millie, with what you do. And um, I, uh, I remember the little chat we had in, in Adelaide last year. Um, you're, you're amazing. And you're inspiring many people and you will continue to do so around the world and you're a blessing to the world and um yeah it's been a pleasure to join you today on your podcast this is the end eating disorders podcast brought to you by lockaway self-storage and podspot your financial support will save lives donate at ended.org.au i always used to think like how can people not hear
0: what's going on in my head